Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Going to be finishing up this chapter today, looking at verses 12 through 18 as we continue our series through the book of 2 Corinthians. Let me also kind of give you some, some context here, remind you of where we're at. The Apostle Paul has been traveling now for some time on his missionary journeys, and uh, he had visited the, the church of Corinth, and there were some issues after he left. He sent a letter to the Corinthian church through the first Corinthian, the book of first Corinthians, and, and addressed those issues. Some of, this, some of them were very severe, some minor, some very severe issues, moral issues and otherwise and uh, he was a little concerned in his book in 1 Corinthians. He states his concern uh, that the, the church would not receive that correction well. I think a lot of us have that concern, right? You're a supervisor. You're a boss. You know you have to have that difficult conversation tomorrow, next week. And in the back of your mind, I mean, maybe you just don't care. I mean, you're the boss. You know, you got to deal with it. But part of you is wondering, how are they going to take this? you got to have a conversation with the family member. How are they going to take this, right? In the back of your head, there's some concern there. And he mentions that concern, but the church of Corinth took it extremely well. In fact, better than the apostle Paul could even hope for. And they just did a complete about-face and dealt with all of the issues that the apostle Paul had pointed out. And so he writes a second book. This is a year apart. So the, the first and second book of Corinthians, about 12 months apart. He writes a second one commending them, saying, I'm so proud of you. You know I love you. But there were still some other issues in the Corinthian church that still needed to be dealt with that were not fixed the first time around. And we're going to see that in the, in the following chapters, a lot of which having to do with the people that are still in leadership. So the church as a whole, the, the common follower of Christ, the, the member of that church, they, they had made a commitment like, we were wrong, let's, let's fix this, let's get right with God. But some of the spiritual leaders, so-called spiritual leaders, some of the teachers, they weren't very happy with the Apostle Paul's correction. Now, I don't know. We're not given their side. We don't see a book of 3 Corinthians from the reprobate leaders of Corinth, right? So we don't know what's going on in their hearts and minds. But I can tell you this, the human condition. You see Jesus Christ correcting the Jews. Much of what Christ said was good stuff. Like, what did Christ say that was wrong? I mean, you can't see it, right? Everything he said was good. Even if you were a Pharisee, everything he said was good. Like, maybe there were some issues as far as, like, resurrection of the dead, things like that. But his daily practical teaching, even the Pharisees had to admit, this is good teaching, so why did the Pharisees not like Christ? Because the people started listening to Christ instead of them. That was the issue. So they made issues where there were and should be no issues with Christ. Because they made it a competition between them and Christ, and they didn't want to lose. Well, you go against Christ, you're going to lose. They were just foolish enough not to know that. I think that's what's going on here. I think we have some spiritual leaders in the church of Corinth who the stuff the Apostle Paul is saying, like, you know, stop committing adultery, stop having these issues. Like, how would these spiritual leaders not be okay with that? I think they started feeling prideful, like, now the people are listening to Paul and not us. Maybe they're feeling a little guilty. We should have corrected this before Paul did. He did, we didn't, so there's some guilt there. And with guilt, often, if it's not fixed, turns to anger and bitterness, and they're directing it at Paul. But these leaders are still in the church of Corinth. So they're using their authority and their status to try to turn the hearts of the people in Corinth against Paul. And now it's a fight between the two. 
The Apostle Paul was trying to correct the Corinthian believers with compassion, with love, while also not outrightly like just throwing these guys under the bus, but calling them out and saying, hey, I mean, you got to make a decision. Either they're right or I'm right. We can't both be right. We're saying two different things here. And so we're going to see some of that today, just some of it. And then as you get into chapter 11 and 12, it kind of opens up more, this, this issue of not all of the leaders in Corinth. I don't get that impression. I think some of them, because there would have been a, a city full of Christians and a city full of church leaders, not just one church with one guy teaching all of them. So some of these church leaders, some of these elders, some of these pastors in the city of Corinth were not on the same page with Paul, I think, because they wanted to be more important than Paul. All right, so let's take a look in verse 12. We're in chapter 10, verse 12. For we, verse 12, dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that would commend themselves, lift themselves up. But they, those lifting themselves up, but they measuring themselves by themselves (laughs) and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So he's saying, hey, you got a bunch of leaders over there that's saying, listen to me, I'm better. Better than who? Better than Paul, okay? Who else are you better than? Better than that pastor, better than that elder, better than that deacon, better than that person. And the apostle Paul says, I'm not playing that game. They're over there trying to figure out who's the best, who's the greatest, kind of like the apostles as Christ was, was going through the, the cities and preaching. The apostles started to wonder, hey, when Christ becomes so popular that he actually becomes king, uh, who's going to be second in command? And they actually asked him, who's going to be sitting on your right and who's going to be the, mo- the second most important after you? And uh, even the apostles started letting that mindset embed in their, in their brains and, and, and their thoughts and their feelings. And so that's what's happening here. These guys are thinking, who's the best? And the Apostle Paul says, only fools ask who's the best. Because if you're wise, you already know the answer to that question. And it certainly is not you. He's the best. And when you play that game of who's the best, it implies you do not know, which then implies you do not think Christ is, which implies you think you could be, but you're not stupid enough to compare yourself to Christ. So you kind of just erase and you eliminate and you push away Christ altogether from your mind and your heart, and all you have left is to compare yourself to people. And what a shame that a church would have to sit back and watch their spiritual leaders fight over who is the best among them. (laughs) They're looking for leadership. They're looking for encouragement. They're looking for truth, and all they find are a bunch of adults acting like middle schoolers, acting like elementary kids on on, on, on on the playground saying, I'm better, no, I'm better, I'm stronger, no, I'm stronger, I'm faster, no, I'm faster. The Apostle Paul says, stop. And if you're not going to stop, for those of you that have stopped, stop listening to them. (laughs) Stop following them. Verse 13, but we, Paul, Timothy, Titus, Luke, but we will not boast of things without our measure. What does that word, our measure, mean? Uh, not boast outside of the, the boundaries that God has placed us. Not boast outside of the, the blessings God has offered us, the authority that God has given me. The Apostle Paul says, look, first of all, he goes on later to say, I'm not, I'm, if I am going to boast, I'm going to boast in Christ. But he's basically, before he gets to that point, he says, look, 
when I do boast, again, his boasting will eventually lead to God's glory. But when I do boast, he says, I don't boast outside of the authority God has given me. I don't say, look at how great I am outside of what God has allowed me to do. It seems like these men, and possibly even some of the women in there, uh, it seems like they were saying not only are they great uh, and talk, commending themselves, but they were almost saying things that weren't true. They were boasting about things that didn't apply to them and saying, oh, look at all the people being saved over on the other side of the, of the city of Corinth. Yeah, but you never met those people. You didn't lead them to the Lord, but they're boasting about the salvations. They're boasting about the church growth. Oh, man, the, the church of Corinth is growing like wildfire. 10,000 strong every day, increasing by hundreds. Man, I'm good. And the Apostle Paul says, you're not the one who grew the church. You're boasting outside your measure. You're boasting outside your authority. You didn't save them. And, and look, even if you had a part to play in them getting saved, you didn't even have a part to play in that. It was someone else that led them to the Lord. Why are you boasting about hundreds of getting saved and you haven't led one to the Lord in five years? You haven't baptized one in, in 10 years and you're boasting about hundreds of people being saved as if you saved them or as if you were the one to lead them to salvation, and you are neither. You're boasting outside your measure. You're boasting outside your authority. Because when you start comparing yourself with others, you're going to find yourself falling short. You have to start tricking people. You have to start pretending. You have to start lying. You have to start playing a game and saying things you know aren't true, but hoping people will believe. Because if the end game is to be better, then you know better than anyone else. You'll never win that by telling the truth. All right, let's move on to verse 14. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure. The apostle Paul says, God has given me this realm of authority. I'm not going to step outside of it. I'm not going to stretch myself outside of what God has given me. He says, as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. He says, look, God's given me a big enough ministry as it is. I my ministry includes Corinth. It includes other things. I don't need to brag and boast about places I've never been. I don't need to brag and boast about the power of God in churches I have not had an impact on. He says, my ministry is broad enough where if I wanted to boast, it's good enough for me. I don't need to go further than that. These guys are boasting not only outside their authority, but they're trying to stretch past what God is giving them. Not boasting, verse 15, of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors. I've talked about that. But having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Enlarged, lifted up, honored. He says if there's any honoring done, if there's any lifting up done, it will be by Christ and by those who've been impacted by Christ through our ministry. We want to be enlarged, lifted up, and honored by those we've helped not by strangers, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. I love that verse 16. Let me, let me break it down for you. The Apostle Paul says, I do have a desire to reach more people, but I don't want to go somewhere where people have already been reached by someone working hard, and then they say, hey, here, Paul, you take it. I'm moving on. I've done all the hard work. You take it from here, Paul. Paul says, I don't want that. He says, if there's someone there, praise the Lord, I'll go somewhere else. Where? To where there is no one. That's where I'll go, the Apostle Paul states. The Apostle Paul didn't want to benefit or look like it was benefiting from someone else's labor. The Apostle Paul wanted God to use him where no one else was willing 
to be used. When I was in college, a lot of young men would talk about their future. You know, you're young. There is really uh, no consequences for your, not many consequences for, for the, the big decisions you're going to make in college. You've already made it. You're there. You're going to go through college. You're going to finish up. So you talk about the places you're going to go, the things you're going to do. And a lot of young guys would talk about, oh, yeah, so I'm going to do this, go here, and then go here. And within four or five years, I'm going to be a senior pastor, lead pastor, head pastor, whatever you call it. And uh, their hope was basically to go from one church to the next until they could have a ministry of someone who had, who's been retiring and would just hand over a ready-made, you know, cookie-cutter, everything's great church, and they just take what is already created, take what is already done, and they just keep going with it. And a lot of young guys, that was their vision. That's exactly what they were looking for. And it's pretty obvious when you see a lot of young men going in the ministry, that's exactly what they are still looking for. They're not saying, God, send me to a place where there is none. They're not saying, God, send me to a church that has no pastor. God, send me to a church that's falling apart. God, send me to a church that's not a church. God, send me to a town with no church. There are some of those. Most guys are looking at churches of 10, 20, 30 people and saying, nope, not enough. I want a church of two to 300, and I'll take it over. Not many guys are looking for a church of 10 to 20 and saying, God, I want a new work where no one else is. I want you to use me to help them. Very few doing that. That would have been the Apostle Paul. Verse 17, but he that glorieth, and here it is. He's saying, look, if I was going to boast, I'd stay in my lane. I'd stay in the authority God has given me. But when I do boast, let him glory in the Lord. My boasting ultimately reflects and points to God. For he, not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. All right, I got three points this morning under the title of this morning's message, Glory to God. Glory to God, and three points, fools, thieves, and servants. Which one are you today? Are you any of them? Possibly you're none. Possibly you're just a spectator. Possibly you have no desire to bring God glory. Possibly you have no desire to do the work of the Lord. Possibly you have no desire to point to God. And so you're just sitting back and enjoying the show and watching other people serve God. But if you are actively serving God, and I do not mean full-time ministry. I mean in your life, you have made it a point to look to God, to point to God, to follow God in whatever walk God has called you, secular, full-time ministry, or something else. You're pointing to God. If you are, then are you a fool, are you a thief, or are you a servant? Because there is no end of people who will fit all three categories. Each of these categories is full of people. The first one, fools. Look back at verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And if you are not wise, you are a fool. And so I see fools here, letter A. Service to God is not a competition, but a camaraderie. If you are serving God, then wisdom says, I've gained a team as I serve God with people. Fools say, ah, who's going to win in our service to God? Who's better in our service to God? Which church is doing more? Which church is growing faster? Which church has a better building? Which church's people are better, better dressed or have more money or bigger offerings? It's a competition for too many churches and too many Christians. And I blame mostly the spiritual leaders because... Doesn't most everything rise and fall with leadership? 
And if the leadership is encouraging that competition, we should not be shocked when the church follows. If the church is competing, it should be the spiritual leaders who stand up and say, it's not a competition, it's camaraderie. (laughs) We're all in Christ. If they love Christ, if they believe Christ is God, died on the cross, rose again the third day, and is coming back as we believe, then we're on the same side. You know what love does? Love glories in someone else's success. A parent who loves their child literally feels thrills, shooting literal, not metaphorical, literal thrills shooting up and down their spine through their arms when their child hits the winning home run in the game. When their child knocks out that winning three-point shot in the game, the parent almost feels like they themselves were on the court shooting that ball. When the child blocks that final ball on soccer and keeps the other team from winning, the parent's going crazier than everyone. Why? Because the parent glories in the child's success. Why? Because you love your child. Your smile is bigger than, than your child's smile when they're holding that A honor roll certificate, that AB honor roll certificate. Your kid's like, I could care less. And you're like, oh, this is the greatest moment ever. Some of you moms are crying because of your child's success. You are thrilled when the ones you love succeed, which will tell you who you love. Because when other people succeed and you're not thrilled, you don't love them. Because if you did, you'd be thrilled. When other churches succeed and it causes bitterness and envy in your heart, You don't love God's church because if you did, you'd be thrilled. When other churches on social media in glory to God and praising God and encouraging others post pictures and say, oh, we had three baptized today and two more people joined the church instead of looking around and saying, well, why didn't we have any baptized today? You'd be thrilled that anyone was baptized anywhere (laughs) in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You'd be thrilled. But how many Christians are thrilled when other churches are succeeding? Not enough. Let that not be said for Meriden Hills. I love seeing churches succeed. We have a school, Mid-State Christian Academy. And uh, if you think churches are competitive, you, you haven't met Christian school principals. Way worse with Christian schools than it is with churches. Way worse and uh, you think that the, the competition is just on the basketball court. Well, someone's lying to you. It's, it's off the basketball court as well. Christian schools, competing with Christian schools, we have more students, you have less. You took my students, I'm going to take your students. We're going to, you know, do whatever we can to manipulate students from your school to come to our school back and forth. Not too many principals have a real camaraderie if they live in the same community. They'll like each other if they're 50, 60 miles away because not many students will travel 60 miles to their school if they left yours. But if they're within a 10, 20-mile radius, it's almost like I can't be friends with that principal because we're not on the same side. Yes, you are. I uh, was a little disturbed at finding that to be the case as a young man in ministry, how many spiritual leaders could not be friends with other spiritual leaders if they were close by because of a competition. I was more concerned when I became a principal about how big of a deal that was in schools. 
And I decided I'm not going to let that happen to Midstate or Meriden Hills. So as a pastor and as a principal, I purposely reached out to the closest schools and made an effort to become friends with those principals. And today I am. With Emmanuel, John Riappel, close friend. I love the guy. He's a great guy. We're good friends. With Kevin Young at Central, great guy, good friends. I'm making an effort with, with uh, Tim Bish and Heritage, and he's a busy guy. He's got a lot on his plate. But my goal was to be good friends with all of the principals. And I, I just, just happened recently. There was a family that came here, and they were up from uh, New Britain area, and uh, they were looking for a school. And one of the first things I said, I said, we'd love to have you, but have you checked out Emmanuel? They're a lot closer to you. Like, what is that? Because my true desire is the success of that family. And I wanted to make sure that they knew what other schools were available, good schools. And Emmanuel is a good school. So I said, hey, you know, I, I, you should check that school out. It's right near you if um, it's a good fit for you. If we're a good fit, that's great too. But if that family goes to any good Christian school, God's kingdom wins. <laughs> right? They don't have to come to Midstate for God to win. Camaraderie, Christians. We're on the same side. Let's get that through our heads, huh? Because if we don't, we're just fools. Letter B, when we compare ourselves with others, everyone loses. Yeah? Because here's how it works. If you compare yourself with someone else and you're better than them, they lose. But because now you're prideful, you lose. You both lose. When you compare yourself with someone else and you think they're better than you, they lose because you have lifted them up higher than is safe for them spiritually. They lose. They're going to fall and get hurt. You lose because you are now discouraged and depressed because you're not as good as them. Everyone loses. Stop comparing yourself to others. Everyone loses. There is no winner in that game, not even God, because God is not glorified when we compare ourselves to others. The only way there's a winner is when God wins, and God only wins when we say God is the best, and we stop fighting for that position amongst ourselves. Let her see. Only fools find pride in comparing themselves with other fools. It literally, guys, honestly, this, this was years ago. And I'll tell you, there was a point where I was prideful. And it was hard for me. And I did compare. And then I realized how foolish it was. And now that that revelation came to me, and I, I recognized clearly what a fool I was to compare myself with other people. When that revelation came, it was so clear uh, you can't tear that truth away from me. I have absolutely no desire whatsoever to compete with other churches. None. It's a fool's game, and I don't want to be one of them. Once I saw that, for me, like, there's no going back. Do you see it? Do you see that only a fool would say they're better because they compared themselves to another fool who's also comparing themselves to fools? It is a fool's game. Stop playing it. Whether you're a spiritual leader or not, you lose. That's the encouragement the Apostle Paul is giving to the church at Corinth. He says, don't lose. Those in your church comparing themselves, they are losing. Don't join them. So, number one, fools. Let's go to number two, thieves, verses 13 through 16. But we will not boast of things without our measure. Go to verse 15. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors. (laughs) So these guys are trying to win the game of who's best, as I said earlier, but to do that, they have to lie. So they now have to claim ownership of some things that aren't even theirs, claim ownership of victories they weren't even a part of, create victories that did not exist. 
I was told of a young man who went on a mission trip. The story, I, believe, I think I remember this story is about five, six months ago. Someone was telling me this story. They said, I knew a young man who went on a mission trip. And uh, he was one of the Central American uh, countries. And he said, so they went on a mission trip and they went out on buses. And uh, they were told to get to many contacts as they could, as many salvations as they could. And so they were college students, a bunch of young men and women college students. And he said, so we're out there, we're talking to people, and this young man was trying to lead people to the Lord. And there wasn't very many that he was able to lead to the Lord, just a lot of conversations being had, but not many people saying, oh, I want to be saved. But then they came back. And so at that church on the mission field in that country, the, the mission director, whoever was overseeing it, said, all right, let's have some testimonies. How many did you lead to the Lord? And people were saying like 30 and 40 and 20 and, 20 and 15. And he looked around and he said, I was with them like most of the day. And they weren't leading that amount of people to the Lord. Like they were having conversations with people, but they weren't getting saved. These young men and women were so caught up in the moment of we've got to have numbers that they were in their head thinking, because I talked to them, and because we prayed together when I was done, you know, even if that person wasn't responsive, just because we prayed together, I'm going to count that as a salvation. It really jaded the young man's thinking towards missions. I don't know what, I, don't, I didn't talk to the young man, I talked to someone who talked to the young man, so I don't know what happened to him after that, but it messed with him. And he started thinking, is this what ministry is like, just creating numbers so that you look better? Unfortunately for some, it is. It is. And so you are saying things that are not true so you can look better than someone else. And maybe it is true, but it's not true for you. God used someone else to do something, but you're owning it as if it was yours because you want to look better. Thieves. Letter A. Our pride keeps us from finding contentment in the life God has given us. We will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed. I, I clarified that earlier. God has given us a ministry, and he says, I'm not going to step outside that ministry without God's direction. I'm going to stay in the ministry God gave me. I'm content with this ministry, and I'm not going to boast of things that God has accomplished other places, not here. I'm content with what I have. Godliness with contentment is great gain, says the Apostle Paul, and I'm a believer. Godliness with contentment. Are you content with what God has for Meriden Hills right now? Because if we are not, we'll probably lose it. Let's not ask, God, what more can you give us because someone else has it? Say, God, we're content. You are welcome to give us more at any time. But until then, we are content with what we have. I dare you to say that and mean that on a personal level with your family. God, I'm content with the job I've got. God, I'm content with the family that I've got. You want to give me more, I'll take more, and I hope you can trust me with more. But God, until then, I'm content. I'm at peace with the measure, with the boundaries, with the authority, with the ministry, with the life that I have. I don't need more. And I'm certainly not going to boast about things I do not even have. And I'm not going to boast about something someone else did and claim it as my own. Those of you that have the opportunity to write out reports at your company about uh, major decisions and major accomplishments, don't ever in any way present yourself as the one who was successful when it was not you. You're the boss, you're the supervisor, and you may say, well, I'm going to justify this because my team is under me, and anything they accomplish, I have accomplished. No, no, no. 
Maybe the world can justify that, not a believer, not a Christian. No, a Christian gives honor to whom honor is due. And yes, I understand it is your team, but let me tell you this. If your supervisor over you has any brains whatsoever, they'll know that. You don't have to tell them that. They'll know, wow, this person has a successful team. They must be a good leader. You don't have to lie on your report for your supervisor to know that. Tell them how great your team is. Lift up your team. Talk great about your team. Give honor to your team. Husbands, do the same for your wives. You got a great family, got great kids, give honor to who honor is due. Your wife's doing a lot of work to get that done. Wives, honor your husbands when honor is due. Stop stealing the honor from each other. Letter B. Don't allow your vision of what can be taint the blessing of what has been. Verse 14, we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure. We're not going to go further than is God's will. We're not going to go further than is successful. For we are come as far to you. And he's basically saying that's enough. Like, why would we need to go further? We, we have such a large ministry, such a large impact, which includes Corinth. The letter I'm writing to, it includes you guys. I don't need more. Will I take more? Oh, God gives it. But I'm happy with what I've got. I am content with what I've got. And although I have a vision, I have a vision. He does, he is, he is stating later on that, if, you know, basically if God wants to give more to preach the gospels in verse 16, to preach the gospels beyond you, like Paul is constantly thinking of what more can be done. He's not allowing that vision of what can be to distract from what God is already doing. Paul is over-blessed in what God is doing now. And he's not discouraged because of what he wants above and beyond. Letter C, stop asking God for another man's work. Instead, ask God to increase your own. Verse 16, to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not to boast in another, another man's line. Stop asking God to hand over someone else's success to you the easy way. You know, here's the truth about success. Success is kept most often when it was earned. If success is given to you, it is harder to keep because you didn't grow into it. You didn't have the chance to learn from the mistakes to attain that success, so you didn't grow as a human being. You didn't grow as a Christian, and so the success was handed to you, and you don't have the strength to keep it lifted up. And so that success crushes you. I was talking with someone just two days ago. We were talking about Christian schools. Another friend of mine, he's a Christian school principal in Massachusetts. Great guy, great guy. His name's uh, Adam. And so he and I were talking about schools, and he said, yeah, so Russ, it's a common thing now for schools to hire an administrator. Let me explain something. In Christian schools, there is assistant principal, principal, and administrator. An administrator basically has all say, full say over whatever's going on in that school, teachers, students, policies, finances, everything. And he says, so they're hiring administrators right out of college. <laughs> that was my response. I said, are you joking me? I said, I may hire an assistant principal. That's the administrator principal, assistant principal. I say, I may hire an assistant principal right out of college. I said, I would never hire an administrator right out of college. These guys don't have experience. They got a degree 
but they're being handed success that they're not going to be able to lift up. Anyone who knows history should already know that. And who should know history better than a school? I don't get it. I don't understand how they don't recognize the pattern of human history when you hand something to someone bigger than their experience, it's going to crush them. And inevitably, what you hand them will be chipped at best, if not outrightly broken. I'm obviously, I'm not going to follow up on this conversation in two years and say, hey, what happened to those schools? I, you know, whatever. Whatever they do, they do. Uh, but wow, in my opinion, it's foolishness. But you know what? A lot of people don't see that, and a lot of young men don't see that. They think my education justifies you handing me success. No. No. Education is only part of the experience that can help. Doesn't mean it will. It can. Can help the experience. So parents, don't hand your children success. Parents, don't pretend there's success when they didn't earn it. And let me say this. Some of you have some very, very bright students who are extremely smart. It's good to commend them for that, but don't let your child define their success only in what they're good at. They don't try anything else because they always want to be successful, but it's not hard to be successful in math. It just clicks for them. You don't push them outside their boundaries. They actually never grow into success because essentially God handed them that success because it just comes easy to them. But they will never try anything hard because they've never experienced succeeding in something that was hard. And someday, whether you like it or not, parent, your child will grow up. And someday your child will be handed things that are hard they cannot run from, and they will not be able to handle it because you only let them stay in their bubble of what's easily attained for them. For some, it's academics, and for other of you parents, it's sports. Your child is naturally athletic, and so they find success in that, and you never push them outside of sports because they're happy. It gives them confidence. It makes your life easier, but they're not growing. Success comes easy, and when success is given to them, they won't be ready when it has to be earned. Stop asking God for another man's work. Ask God to increase your own work. Work, folks. Number three, servants. Letter A, when your faithfulness results in victory, give God the glory. Verse 17, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So that's the culmination of Paul's boasting. He's saying, I could boast. I've seen great success in the ministry, seen great success in church as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, as a missionary, as an evangelist. I've seen many salvations, many baptisms. I'm not going to boast in things I have not accomplished. I'm not going to boast in other men's work. I'll be happy for them. I'll be glad, but I'm not going to take that honor on my shoulders. But when I do boast, I'm pointing to him as I boast. God is good. Oh, look at this great work. Look how God has used me. God is good. God is good. Letter B. Self-commendation is a product of pride and a precursor to destruction. What's self-commendation? Well, self-commendation is when you say, uh, I am because, or look what I've done, or uh, basically you are the judge and the jury of your own life. No one judges you, you judge yourself, right? That's a common phrase, don't judge me. 
used a lot by a lot of people, even Christians. Don't judge me. God doesn't judge us. Well, who told you that? Someone's been lying to you. Look, inevitably, you will be judged, not just by God. People will judge you. They will judge you by what you wear, whether you like it or not. I'm not saying I will. I'm just saying people will. You're going to be judged. They will judge you by what you do, whether you like it or not. They will judge you by the things you say and don't say, whether you like it or not. You're going to be judged. Get used to it. In fact, the Apostle Paul stated in, in the book of 2 Corinthians that as you're being judged, don't do anything that would bring shame to the ministry because people are going to judge you. Don't let their judgment of you destroy your testimony. Don't reject the judgment of people. Give them something to judge that reflects God. Self-commendation, though, is this idea of don't judge me. I judge myself. You can't tell me if I'm good or bad. I get to decide. You can't tell me the rules. I make the rules. You can't tell me that I'm better or worse. I say if I'm better or worse. That's self-commendation. Only for fools. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherever he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. If you stop Judging yourself. I don't mean judging yourself as in I sinned, I need to get right with God. Judging yourself as in I'm the best because I say so. I'm okay because I say so. Stop doing that and saying, God, I want to humble myself before you. I want to be a humble servant of you. You are the one that judges me. I don't get to judge me. You get to judge me. I'll let you decide what's best. God says that is when I can work with you. That is when I can lift you back up. But as you judge yourself, you're like the, the child in the pool who has not yet learned to swim, but they've judged themselves capable. And the harder they try to swim without the knowledge and the experience and the muscle to do so, the more likely they're going to sink. But when they stop judging and say, okay, I'm done, I can't do this, and they make it clear, help, someone will jump in and get them. And they'll be lifted up and out of the water to safety. And God says, stop struggling. Stop judging yourself capable where you're not. <laughs> Ask for help. Be humble. Recognize you need me, God says. And I'll jump in and get you. And lift you out and up into safety. Let us see and we're done. The servant must seek approval from the master, not other servants. Verse 18, for not he that committeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Approved, tried, found successful, found victorious. Do you want to be found victorious? I certainly do. I really do. I do not want to waste this life with failure. I do not want to waste the ministry opportunities God has given me with self-destruction. I want to be victorious for God. So I can say, God is good, and as you judge me, it will only reflect him. That is what I want. And you are welcome to judge me, and I hope that as you do, you will just see Christ. That is what I want. I will never tell you not to judge me. I will only ask, do you see Christ when you judge me? If you don't, tell me where so I can fill that hole with Christ. <laughs> Christ, I want to be victorious. How do you find victory? It is not in approval from others. Do not count yourself victorious because someone came up to you and said, 
you sure are a good person. Do not count yourself victorious because someone comes up and says, you are so talented. Do not count yourself victorious because someone comes up to you and says, you changed my life. Victory can only be granted by God. People could be lying to you. You could be lying to them. People could be blind and saying things that are not true about you. God will not lie. God is not blind. Stop trying to gain the approval of other people to attain victory. Gain God's approval, and you will find victory. Seek God's approval, and you will find victory. That does not mean you don't care what people think. No, if you care what God thinks, you will care about people, and you will want them to think of God. So in in a sense, you do care what they think because you want them to think of God. I'm not saying you don't care about people or what they think. I'm saying you don't define your victory by what people think. That's a big difference. You don't define your failure by what people think. I have had in my ministry multiple times now where people have come to me and said, Russ, you are so wise. God seems to speak through you and you understand things that uh, is, is far beyond your age. I will tell you this. Almost every time someone has said that about me, At some point within a year to two years, it went to, you are a horrible person. (laughs) I'm not lying to you. It went to, you are a liar. You uh, are manipulative. These are two extreme different things said about me. Now you're wondering, Russ, which one's true? Neither one, okay? (laughs) Neither one's true. My victory is not in when they said I was wise. My defeat was not in when they said I was manipulative or lying or, or disobedient or whatever. I care about what people think because I want it to reflect God. But what they think doesn't determine my victories and my defeats. It's what God thinks that defines that for me. And it must be for you. Because there will be people who will say things not true about you that if you let it define you, will defeat you. And there will be people who will say things that are not true about you, that if you let it define you, will lift you up. But it's not true about you. (laughs) All right? Don't get on that roller coaster. It will make you sick. Get off. People are going to say what they say. Listen to God more. Let God's voice be the loudest one in your ear. Here's what I do. When someone commends me and says, hey, you know, this or that. I, I do try to say, well, praise God. I'm glad that God uses his word and his truth because ultimately it's him. I try to boast about God. I, I don't want to be a punk about it and like, oh, you know, don't say that, God, you know, to God be the glory because that, that, that's kind of cliche. I, I really, I want to accept the honor but reflect it to God. That's my goal. When people say something cruel about me, I tru- tru- truly try to listen And then I go to God in prayer and say, God, is there any part of what they said that's true? Because if it is, I want to know, and I want to deal with that. 
I don't believe it because they said it, but I pray on it. And I let God tell me what is or is not true. Let's pray.